Genesis chapter 48. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took him with him with took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go at Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knee, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and he brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. 
Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this reading of your word. We ask God for the preaching of your word, that you would give us ears to hear, that we may learn and grow and understand this passage and apply its truth to our life. Be with this, your servant. Uh, May the words that are spoken here be yours, be true, and be to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we again continue in the narrative of Genesis, we see that the covenant family of Jacob has now been reunified. They have been rescued from the famine. They've been resettled in Egypt in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh, in fact, had gifted that land to them even as the people of Egypt had lost their land. However, Egypt was not to be the permanent settlement place. The hope of Israel was in God's promises. And so Jacob had made Joseph swear to him that he would bury him in Canaan, in the family cave. And so Joseph swore, he took an oath. Now fast forward some time. And again, uh, we come to the blessings of Jacob. First, we see in chapter 48, the blessings which are bestowed upon Joseph's two Egyptian-born sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And then in chapter 49, later we will see the blessings which will come upon all of Jacob's sons. Jacob's, Jacob is, rather, is approaching death. And he is having to rely on Joseph to fulfill his oath and bury him in the promised land. Joseph, though, is also relying on Jacob. He needs his father to bless his descendants who will themselves also inherit in the promised land. Though this family had been in Egypt, they belonged to the nation of Israel. Now remember, the Genesis is, in part, answering the question of the origin of God's people. God blesses and cares for His elect people. This is who they are. They are God's elect people, God's promised people. They are sons of promise. And they are to become a great nation. They will have many children. They will inherit the promised land in Canaan. But as God's elect people, the promise is not merely bound up in land, in a geographic place. They would be a great nation, which would include members of all of the nations. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are much larger than that. Much larger than just simply uh, a place. They include people from many nations and languages and tribes. So what we are seeing is just the beginning of the plan of redemption and glorification, which is, of course, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so now as Jacob is coming to the end of his life, he needed to do what his father Isaac had done before, and that was to bless the coming generations who will carry on the mantle of God's covenant promises and awaiting the fulfillment of all these promises in Christ. And so it was sometime after that oath ceremony uh, we had seen in the previous chapter between Jacob and Joseph that Joseph received word that his father was ill. Now the implication of this, that his father is nearing death. He's nearing the end of his life. Now it's uncertain how much time has transpired between that oath of chapter 47 and these events now here in chapter 48. What we do know is that Jacob had lived 17 more years in Egypt. We don't know the timing though of these events. In fact, the chronology throughout this section is fairly difficult to ascertain. For one, you'll notice that Joseph's sons appear to be young. They were placed on Joseph, or rather Jacob's knees. And yet the word which is used in verse 16, which is, which is often translated boys, na'ar, is actually a word which, which refers to a young man of meritable age. So we, may, we might ask, are these blessings the last act of a dying man? Or did it appear that he was on death's door? He performs these rites, but then lives uh, a little bit longer. It's hard to know for sure, and perhaps, perhaps that's, that is not an important detail to know with any kind of certainty. But the important thing is what is actually done here. Now, because Joseph continued to serve in the court of Pharaoh, there was some distance between them, and so Joseph had to be fetched. We found out that his father was ill, somebody had to come get him. We can presume that Joseph uh, came quickly uh, to his father and brought his two sons. Now, Jacob's illness, and by the way, this is the first time that illness is mentioned of Jacob. In fact, it's the first time in the scriptures that illness is even mentioned. This illness is what gives occasion to the blessings, which are bestowed here in chapter 48 and then in chapter 49. And these final appearances of Jacob in the narrative appear, they at least appear to have him on his deathbed. He is, in fact, a sick and dying man. And so here we have what are some decisive days for the covenant family. Is a transition in leadership and in family life. And it is here with irrevocable authority that Jacob bestows blessings on his sons and on these two grandsons. And in doing so, Jacob is speaking a prophetic word from the Lord. He is providing them their place and their future. So Joseph, hearing of his father's illness and his probable death, goes to Jacob. He brings with him uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, the, the two sons from his Egyptian wife. Joseph brings them so that they can be consecrated to, God, to the God of Israel, lest there be any confusion concerning them, concerning their names in particular. You might recall in Genesis chapter 41... 
In verse 51, it says that Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all of my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so these are the reasons for the two names of Manasseh and Ephraim. But Joseph has neither forgotten his family, nor was his hope in the fruitfulness of Egypt. They were to be recognized for who they are as covenant children, children of God, members of the household of Israel. And so we see also in verse 1, the names of the two sons are listed in the order of their birthright. In the ancient world, the older was considered greater than the younger. But we will see later that, jo- that Jacob will reverse that, or rather, as jo- jo- J- Jacob is speaking as a prophet, God reverses that. When it was told that Jacob, to Jacob that Joseph had come, we read that Israel summoned his strength. That is to say, he rallied himself from within himself. He, he sat up in his bed. The events which were about to take place are significant. This old and sick man has conjured up all the strength he could muster for this event. I mentioned again of Israel highlights the national importance of the event. You've noticed throughout the the narrative that we kind of go back and forth between Jacob and Israel, the two names being used. These are adoption rites. There are blessings which are happening. And so the ill and dying Jacob renews himself so that he can impart the necessary blessings just as his father had done. Jacob, we will note, has gone from dwelling in Goshen to dwelling in his bed. And again, note the interchange between Jacob and Israel. This is significant. Jacob is lying sick and dying, but Israel draws himself up, summons all his strength to impart blessing. This is not a point to miss. And so Jacob begins his audience with Joseph by recounting, first of all, God's promises. Look at verse 3. It says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, multiply you, and I will make of you a company of people, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So Jacob draws, first of all, on his own experience, particularly, but then reflects the promises which were made to Abraham. God had spoken, though, to Jacob at Luz, this is Bethel, when he had returned from Paddan Aram. As the patriarch of the covenant family now, he had the authority then to, to bestow blessings. The promise which was given to him was that God would make him a company of people. That speaks to their national identity. And the land which which they would possess would be an everlasting possession. But this is a strong contrast to the Egyptians who we had seen last week had lost all of their land. 
and Israel who has temporary holdings in Egypt. The land that they were to inherit from God in the promised land would be the permanent. After having rehearsed then God's promises, Jacob then claims Joseph's sons as his own. Look at verse 5. He says, Your sons who were born in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh, shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. Again, notice that Jacob reverses the order of the names from verse 1. In verse 1, they, they were presented as Joseph would understand things, Manasseh, then Ephraim. But here, the names are reversed. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. And so already we see the reversal of the birthright. But in the bigger picture, the two sons of Joseph were to belong to Israel. Just as Reuben and Simeon do. Now these are the first two sons of Leah, Reuben and Simeon are. But they are also being bypassed. So that the double blessing could be given to Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh then are not just getting the blessings reserved for grandchildren, but are giving the blessings given to sons. Now, 1 Chronicles chapter 5 explains the reason. It tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 1 that Reuben was the firstborn, but because he had defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. So Reuben is bypassed for these two. Likewise, Simeon and Levi are bypassed because of their crimes against Shechem. In addition to this, Joseph is the firstborn of Jacob's favored wife, Rachel. And they... And so their firstborn son supersedes Leah's firstborn son. And so Joseph's two sons will enjoy equal status then with Reuben and Simeon among the twelve tribes of Israel. You notice Jacob's repetition of mine. He says over and over again, mine. They are mine. And his repetition highlights the new standing of Joseph's son. There's no, there, there's no confusion about who these sons belong to. Yeah, yes, they have an Egyptian mother, but they are part and parcel of Israel. They were mine, he says. This is an adoption. The adoption by Jacob extends to these two sons of Joseph alone. Not to the other ones who would come subsequently. Any other sons would fall under the territorial designations of Ephraim and Manasseh. But these two sons of Joseph will be, will be the ones to establish, they will be, have the establishment of the inheritance. They are adopted sons of Israel. They replace, as it were, Reuben and Simeon who have disqualified themselves but will not ascend to the highest rank, which was left actually to Judah. Joseph and his sons, though, receive the double portion. Judah will receive the kingship and the rule. Now the implication of the adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh as sons of Israel will result in a diversity of tribal lists in the Old Testament. Joseph appears in the blessing in chapter 49, while the blessing of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 3 lists 12 by naming the sons of Joseph, but then leaving Simeon off the list. Ezekiel 47, though, counts the allotments by giving two parts to Joseph, 
since the tribe of Levi receives no portion. So in the terms of a land allotment, this is, this is the most common and idealized version of the twelve tribes. A double portion to Joseph through his two sons, and then Levi doesn't receive any of the land because, of course, they were the priests. And so if you've ever noticed in the Old Testament, there seems to be a differing list on what actually are the twelve tribes. This is the reason why. And so Jacob rather gives, uh, giving an inheritance to his grandsons, and now who are actually now his adopted sons. But then he also expresses his sorrow in verse seven. In contrast to Joseph, who had the prospect of more children, Jacob couldn't have any more with his beloved Rachel because remember she had died in Canaan; she was buried there. And since he was not able to have any more children with Rachel, Joseph's sons replaced what he had lost with her death. Remembering Rachel's tomb was important for Jacob. Leah was buried in the family tomb. Rachel is honored in the double portion given to her firstborn, Joseph. Note that Ephraim and Manasseh were born in Egypt... But their inheritance is in Canaan, where their grandmother, Rachel, is buried. They belong no longer to Egypt. They belong to Israel. They are the sons of Jacob. They are covenant members of God. In fact, Jacob spoke of the sons of Joseph becoming his sons, adopted into the covenant family, as it were, receiving each part of Joseph's double portion. But then we come to verse 8. And then this seems actually somewhat confusing. Confusing. It says, And when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Now you might ask, what is this? Why is the patriarch asking a question immediately after having adopted his, his two grandsons as his own? These are now his sons. And then he asks, well, who, who is this with you? Why is he asking this question? Surely Jacob knows who's standing before him. So what's the purpose of this question? Now, to be clear, verse 10 does state that Jacob's eyes were dim. So you could think, well, maybe he's just blind, so he doesn't know. And so it is at least chronologically possible that verses 3 through 7 were not immediately before verse 8, but rather that the narrator tells us of a promise made to Joseph, which is later realized as uh, as Jacob is dying. It's at least possible. However... It seems best to take these verses as consecutive events. And so what does he mean by who are these? No, note the language who are these. It actually reflects a question that Isaac had asked Jacob when he was blessed. What I would argue that is this, this suggests the use of formal language or, or ceremonial language. The question who are these is... He's, he's entering into a formal uh, ceremony. It's sort of like uh, when a minister in a wedding asks, and who gives this woman to this man? Now, it's not that the minister is unaware of who's giving the bride away. I mean, he was at the rehearsal after all. So he does know, doesn't he? So why does he ask such a question? Well, it's part of the formal language. 
He's, he's, he's formally acknowledging the reality of the situation. A daughter is being given to a man who will be a husband to her and care for her and cherish her. Now there is some additional support to the idea of formal language here in Jacob's question. Notice that Joseph doesn't provide their names. He doesn't say, oh yeah, Dad, you remember, this is you know Manasseh and Ephraim. We were just talking about them. He doesn't say that. Instead, he answers with what appears also to be formal language. These are my sons whom God has given me here. Jacob certainly knew Joseph's sons. He had proposed their adoption by name. This is a formal process, a legal ritual. And so Joseph provides an answer and recognizes his children as being gifts from the Lord. It is the Lord who had provided these children. This answer is essentially the same as that which Jacob had given to Esau. Joseph, like Jacob, shared in the faith of their fathers. Jacob then asks that they be brought near so they can be blessed. Now verse 10 again provides some additional context for what is taking place. The patriarch's eyes are dim with age. He's he's blind. This will become important later, much to Joseph's chagrin. Jacob will cross his arms. He'll place his hands on the opposite heads that Joseph thought they should be. And so as Joseph brought the sons to him, Jacob kissed them, embraced them. And this is done when the boys were, were, were placed upon or perhaps between his knees. And Jacob recognized the gift this moment was. He had, he had never expected that he would ever see Joseph's face again. As he, it's almost like he's participating in this, this event, this, 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 uh, this ceremony of blessing, and he's sort of overcome He never expected to even see Joseph again, and yet here he was with his sons. God's providence and blessings ought to amaze us. Even as we experience uncertainty and difficulties, Joseph then removes the boys from his knee. He bows before his father. Here is the second second in command in Egypt, bowing before Israel, the patriarch, who mediates God's blessing. Joseph then took the boys, he placed them before Israel, his father, in their appropriate place in terms of birthright. Ephraim, the younger, was placed before Israel's left hand, and Manasseh, the older, on Israel's right hand, the right hand of blessing. However, when the patriarch stretched out his hand to lay them on the head of Manasseh, who was before him, on the head of Ephraim, he switched them. He crossed his hands. And so he was giving the blessing of birthright, not to the older, but to the younger. Now, Jacob may have been blind, But he was still a prophet of the Lord. And he saw with clarity what his wise administrator of a son could not see. Joseph will try to correct his father, although the narrative provides that detail after the blessing, so as not to interrupt the flow. But like Isaac over Ishmael and Jacob over Esau, Ephraim is blessed over his older brother, Manasseh. 
Jacob blessed just as his father had blessed him. But notice, though his hands are on the heads of Ephraim and Manasseh, it says in verse 15, and he blessed Joseph. You notice that? He's, he's here blessing his adopted sons, but it says, and he blessed Joseph. Now, first, again, this may seem perplexing. Maybe, maybe this is a mistake. Why, why does it say Joseph? Why does it say Ephraim and Manasseh? Well, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, substitutes them for Joseph, which then refers to the boys. That would resolve what seems to be a a problem. But that's an unnecessary adjustment to the text. Joseph is the correct recipient. It's not a mistake that it mentions Joseph. In fact, it makes sense in the larger context. Because what is being represented is his two sons who are before Jacob, who are receiving the double portion. By being adopted into the covenant family, Ephraim and Manasseh were to enjoy all the privileges and benefits and blessings. In them, the double portion was being given to Joseph. Joseph is being blessed through his sons. Jacob's blessing acknowledges then the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. He says, who had shepherded him all his life, had cared for him. And, and we had seen throughout the narrative of Genesis, right, the care of God for Jacob. Jacob got himself into some pretty difficult situations at times, and yet the Lord cared for him throughout. These two boys are now being connected to him as they're connected to Abraham and to Isaac. Jacob's words bring to mind the words of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jacob, in his lifetime of wandering, has been gently led and shepherded by the Lord throughout. God has given him protection, has provided for his needs, has restored his soul even. The Lord had led him in paths of righteousness, transforming Jacob from the deceiver, the heel grabber, to a man who strives for God. Jacob then refers to God as an angel, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Now, this doesn't mean that Jacob uh, considered God as a mere angel. The word angel means messenger. He's a protecting messenger. God is a protecting messenger. Remember that it was an angel of God who came to Jacob at Bethel. And in that context, angel means messenger. But it was also the incarnate God who wrestled with Jacob and had heard his cry and had blessed him. There's a number of ways in which God has redeemed Jacob from evil. In his younger years, Jacob had not really walked in righteousness. He was a deceiver, and yet God transformed him. Additionally, Jacob, throughout his life, found himself in difficult situations. His dealings with Esau, for example. Laban, his father-in-law. The fallout from the events at Shechem, where his sons murdered basically the whole place. In each of these, the Lord rescued Jacob and protected him. 
And so it is the same same God who has done all this for Jacob. That Jacob is calling upon. And he says in verse 16, Bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob prays for the fulfillment of God's promises. The multitude of nations that would come from them. After the formal request from God for blessing, Jacob then turns to the young men's future identity, that they would identify with Israel and Abraham and Isaac. Much like how a woman takes her husband's name in marriage, identifying with him in unity, Jacob prays that Ephraim and Manasseh, having now been included into the covenant family, would themselves, with their offspring after them, identify with that covenant family and with that covenant nation. May they be reckoned, as it were, with the twelve tribes of Israel and perpetuate the family of Jacob with a multitude. They would grow and have many children worth noting that the answer to this prayer can be seen in the book of Numbers. The males of the combined tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh went from 72,700 in the second year of the Exodus to 85,200. Now contrast this with Reuben and Simeon. In that same time period, they went from 105,000 to 65,000. The Lord blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. The tribes of Joseph, one commentator said, put the, uh, become the paradigm of spectacular increase. And Joseph um, saw how, how his father had laid his hands on the two young men. We see that it displeased him. Now, the Hebrew here can be translated, when Joseph had seen, when Joseph had seen, because of what is known as the Vav consecutive, Here what we have in in grammar is what is known as a pluperfect, which is a completed action which has happened sometime in the past. Joseph had seen what his father had done, and he had immediately tried to correct it. In other words, this this little bit actually happens before the blessing. He had tried to correct it. He saw, oh, Dad, you're doing this wrong. (laughs) Literally, it was evil in his eyes. This is not the way things are supposed to be done. And so he tries to correct. Well, you know, Dad's blind. He's old and blind. He doesn't know what he's doing. He, I, I, I better fix this. He tries to switch the hands. This, this way, my father, he says. This is the firstborn. Put your hand on his head. Notice Jacob's response. Well, he flatly refused. Then he says this. I know, my son. I know. He's maybe blind, but it doesn't, it's not that he doesn't know. He also should become a people and also should be great. Remember, Jacob is acting as a prophet. He knows because the Lord has revealed to him the truth. Jacob, empowered by God, is greater than the ruler of Egypt. Blind Jacob knows what this ruler of Egypt does not know. Jacob had deliberately put his hands where he was putting them. There was no mistake in his crossing his hands. This was the act of a prophet of God. 
giving the blessing which fits God's purposes. The older will also be a people. He will also be great. Nevertheless, we see, his younger brother should be greater than he, and his offspring should become a multitude of nations. God's sovereignty overrules human conventions. Human convention in the ancient world was the older is greater than the younger. God overrules that. God does as He pleases. And over and over again we see the older serving the younger. It's almost become a pattern which overturns social norms of the world. Ephraim would be greater than Manasseh. His family line would grow to exceed his brothers and become the fullness of nations. Jacob then then completes the blessing to the young men by making it more direct instead of indirect as before. The nation of Israel will declare blessings by saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. That, that's going to be the, the way it's going to be. You know, when, when somebody, when you want, to, you want somebody to, things to go well, well, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. That's, it's like a byword, as it were. In other words, so blessed will the offspring of these two be that others will use them as a measure of blessing. They will be so celebrated that they will be the subject of traditional benedictions and will become a paradigm of fruitfulness and divine blessing. May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Well, the narrator narrator then ends by saying, Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Now, the antecedent of he is ambiguous, but the parallel in the order of the names removes that. It's not that Jacob placed Ephraim before Manasseh. It's that God did. God had placed Ephraim before Manasseh. Israel then emphasizes to Joseph the imminence of his death. He is dying, but God will be with him. It is the Lord who will bring them into the land of his fathers. Jacob then had something extra to give to Joseph, a mountain slope that he had taken from the Amorites, he says, by force. Again, the Hebrew here is somewhat ambiguous. A literal reading says, I give you Shechem, or it could also be translated shoulder, over your brothers. I give you Shechem over your brothers. Likely, this refers to a place which he gives to Joseph called Shechem, which then also would have included the well. Now, that well becomes important. You may recall in John chapter 4, Jesus meets somebody there, a Samaritan woman, near a town called Sychar, which is near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Well, that is recorded in John chapter 4, and here we see that. This is the well, Jacob's well, where this woman is spoken, where it's spoken of. And Joshua 24 also reports the burial of Joseph at Shechem. So Jacob's acquisition of this land, which he gave to Joseph, he said he had taken from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Now, Amorites is a general term for Canaanite people. And so what Jacob may have in mind, or what may be described here, is the incident which involved Dinah, when Simeon and Levi slaughtered the Shechemites by the sword. An an event, by the way, that Jacob denounced 
Nevertheless, he still ended up with the property afterwards. And he also may be thinking into the future when the land will be won as the possession of Israel after hard-fought battles, when the Israelites will drive out the Amorites from the land. Examples of this can be found in Exodus chapter 23, Deuteronomy chapter 7. It was from Shechem that the land is distributed in Joshua chapter 24. So it's very interesting because there's actually a lot of connections with this gift given to Joseph. Whatever it is that Jacob has in mind, the possession of the land is especially given to Joseph as evidence of God's provision for his people. Jacob had taken Shechem through the wickedness of Simeon and Levi, but that doesn't excuse them. God uses the wickedness of men to accomplish His will without excusing the guilty. A prime example of this is Judas, who sold out the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. This is a crime of which he was not acquitted, and yet it led to your salvation and to mine. In fact, considering the main theological point of our our passage today, it's really hard to focus on just one thing. There's, in fact, a lot of things going on in in this text. We see the adoption of Joseph's two sons. And we can speak of of God's adopting His people as covenant members. We've been adopted as children of God by faith in Christ. There's a sense that that the people needed to be recognized. These two sons, in fact, need to be recognized and grafted into the covenant family, just as we are. They, they who have been, those who have been saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have been adopted into the family of God, enjoy all the rights and privileges thereof. This is illustrated in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that even one believing parent makes the children holy unto the Lord. Ephraim and Manasseh were to be included as a part and parcel of that covenant family. They were recognized as the sons of Jacob. They were fully part of Israel as a nation. Covenant inclusion, then, is not a matter of blood. It's not a matter of genetics. It's faith in the promises of God. This is, by the way, done by God. The Lord built and is building a kingdom of faith. If you are resting and trusting upon Jesus Christ alone, then you have been grafted into the family. You are part of the family. You have been adopted. You are a blood-bought child of the King, a member of the household of God and of the bride of Christ, His church. God has been pleased to give us many and various pictures and illustrations in the Scriptures of these truths so that we may more fully understand how He has determined to relate to us. He has told you, you're a believer by faith in Jesus, that you are an heir of the promise. You have hope that you can rest in every day. You can rest in Christ, because you are a child of the King. You You have this identity because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. Trust each day in Him and His promises. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for 
your promises to us. We thank you that you have adopted us into your household. That you have made us heirs by faith in Jesus. A faith that those in the old were looking forward to, that Savior who would come as we look back. And we also look forward to that day when Jesus comes again, gathers us into the new heavens and new earth, where He rules and reigns eternally. Thank you, O God, for your many blessings upon us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.